WTF, we're doing a podcast. I'm Nikki. And I'm Michelle. This is 50. Welcome to What the 50. Join us on our continued journey to simplify our lives. We will seek the answers from the experts and offer tips, tools, and techniques to live your life with confidence and joy. Are we ready? Let's go. So here we are today, Michelle. Yes, here we are today. It's in March. March. Unbelievable. We're already in March. For, and and we wanted to celebrate International Women's, Women's Month. Day. Yes. Well, Women's Month. Right. Yeah. It's and a day, March 8th, but we are going to celebrate the month. We will for sure. And we have someone super special on today. I know. And she is a senior lecturer in international relations and an associate dean in the faculty of social sciences. And I'm going to add to that. She has been my friend for decades. Welcome, Anne Hilo Bassiani. Don't age yourself, <laughs> just the other day. Nursery, but we weren't. Okay, but okay. We've been friends for decades. Hi, happy to you have so you on. Much. Thanks for having me. It's been a long time coming and well overdue. Thank you so much. Nothing the time is time, my darling. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. And I think this is the perfect month and the perfect timing. And my words for this month is divine timing, right? And that's exactly what it is. Welcome, so, Lisa. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Um, so today yeah, we're going to talk about your journey. And you wear so many hats. But before we start to get into the hats that you wear... When we looked at your bio, we saw something that we both just popped up. And we need to get the silly story. And I don't it, think it's silly. It's no, but it's a good silly. story. No, it seems that it was silly, but I'm sure it's a good story. But we want to get the story behind Tallulah Gooders. <laughs> Let us start off with that. Okay, so growing up, I'm the youngest-ish in my family. My older brothers and sisters, so there is Andrea Marie Taylor, but known as Anne. And then there is Robert John, known as Bobby. So they both had these nicknames that everyone knew them casually by. And then there's me, Lisa, just Lisa. No so pet for, name, no pet name. No pet name. So for years, I had a complex of not having a special name that I wasn't, not a complex, but I'm like, he's Bobby, she's Anne, and I'm just Lisa. Mm -hmm. So there was a movie. My mother, well, my parents, they exposed us to all sorts of movies before everyone had VCRs. We were living in Montego Bay and we drive to Kingston and rent all of these movies. And one of them was Bugsy Malone. I don't know if any of you ever watched Bugsy Malone. It was a no, cast no. of all teenagers, mm. but it was, I'm not even sure what it was about because I really liked the soundtrack, but there was one girl in it called Tallulah. So from I was about 12 or 13, I was fascinated with Tallulah. And I said, well, I don't have a nickname. So this is my nickname. And I would tell everybody, Talula is my nickname. And of course, nobody, nobody ever called me Talula. 
<laughs> ever, ever. It, right? But in my head, that's it. And I have some young friends at work. So one in particular who I used to teach, who has become my friend. And mm-hmm. she teases me all the time that you're a good us and you're too extra. And, you know, <laughs> and I'm like, yes, my name is Talula Gooders. So she's the only one who calls me that and myself. So the name is in my head as my own nickname. You just claim it, my darling. It's well, yours. So, I'm sure there's no other Tallulah Gooders. Well, I can see you as a Tallulah Gooders, you know. <laughs> you have that big, bright personality, such a present presence and a present to others. Like very- and, guess, and guess what? Lisa is a good dance hall dancer. What? I didn't mm-hmm. know that about Lisa you. Lisa has some moves. Let me just tell everybody about that. I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> So she's a good as in that department too. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michelle is telling me the years we go back together. Michelle and I jumped carnival Many in years. 19 something in the 1900s. Don't be- say that 1900s. <laughs> we both got married. Yeah, yeah. I think that, I think Long you guys need then. to do a, a rerun on that. You probably should. I don't know. I have so, the photo, Lisa. I could share it. Yeah, you could. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Or I think I think you guys have to go to Trinidad, and I'm coming too. No, that <laughs> that Nikki, that okay. is a good idea. She just came back from Carnival, by the way. Yeah. So that's oh nice, 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 nice. Just came back. So a, a quick story is that Trevor and Lisa knows Trevor because of course we're all on the PTA together, mm-hmm. and um, he said, hey, Brown, "That's the most important thing." Trevor I was going to get to that. Right. Yeah, we're all in yes, place. yes. And he was t- trying to get our older son, Max, to go and say, you know, Max, this is the last time that we're going to Carnival. We're never going to do it like this again. You know, so try and come, try and come, you know, do a family thing. When we're leaving, Trevor says, okay, next year again. <laughs> and I said, and you're telling your son this is the last time. And, the last- says, and we're going to play. The bug has been bitten. Again. And he's always been a big soca person. Yeah, yeah. Cool. More than me. Yeah. Lisa, some of the hats that you wear. Wife, mother, lecturer, plant mom. Oh my oh, that's a nice story. The so let's start, mom. let's start with five. She was excited about the plant mom. I know. We're gonna get get there. Yeah, so the wife, I guess I've been a wife for almost my goodness, this year, Stephen and I celebrate. 23 years wow congratulations yeah thanks um it has been a wild ride very fulfilling and i'm not going to give it a glossy oh it's been oh so perfect and i found my perfect perfect life partner and and i know i'm far from perfect too so but it has really been fulfilling so we've been married Uh, many people know you know, I like to tell the story at first, um, especially some, to my students, because I think it's so scandalous when I tell them I married my professor. Yeah. Okay, then. But we didn't get married when he was my professor. We met at UWE, um while I was working as a teaching assistant, and he was lecturing. Um, but he had also taught me in my master's program. Uh, and we have... Been together, 
we have been married for 23 years with these two wonderful boys, one who is sitting out of reach of the camera, <laughs> Dominic, <laughs> wondering what on earth is she calling my name for, and Sean. Um, we've had so many experiences, you know, working in the same department, navigating that. Mm -hmm. um, we went to Cambridge University for a year shortly after we got married. Um, that was like the best and there's so many experiences I have that have been mm -hmm. like the best and worst of everything. So Cambridge was wonderful to be exposed to, you know, the whole life in the UK and access to London and all of these things. But I also had a miscarriage oh. when I was there. And that was um, a hard experience. You know, mm -hmm. so it was a wonderful year, but it was punctuated that for me, that's what I remember the most. Mm -hmm. But um, I also remember traveling to Jamaica the day afterwards to have uh, an MPhil defense. I do not know where I had the strength to do that, to travel the day after, get to Jamaica and present a conference on it was on my early research days of my PhD topic. And I showed up. I don't know how I did it. Only a woman. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The strength of a woman. Right. So you were in Cambridge um, for you or for your husband? No, it wasn't me. Um, Stephen had got uh, some fellowship to go to Wolfson, Wolfson, Wolfson College okay. to do a year research. But it was also good for me because I was figuring out what I wanted to do my PhD in. So mm -hmm. they also allowed me to be, he was officially the visiting fellow. Okay. I was a visiting scholar. So I had access to the university and just generally, it was a beautiful city, but mm -hmm. England is also cold and dreary. <laughs> but you love that. Um, you have always been one that have loved travel and those experiences. Because if I remember something about you, you did that year, the Rotary year away. Was it in Switzerland? Where were you? That's the exchange program. The exchange, exchange program. program. Yeah. So I've done two different things. There's one that I've... Um, so you both know mommy died a few months ago. And in going through her things, my older sister, Anne, Andrea, found a picture, newspaper clipping of me presenting something to the then governor general. Um, I was head girl at St. Andrew High at the time. But shortly after that, I went on a trip to represent Jamaica to Switzerland. That was through Rotary. Okay. And they had two young people from all over the world go to Switzerland to celebrate, I think it was 500 years as a confederate. But before that, I spent a year in Sweden as an exchange student. Oh, great. I got it mixed up. Okay, yes. So I had seen an advertisement. I think I was on vacation in New York when I was 14. And I saw something on TV about... AFS intercultural programs and all of this information was there and I said I'm going to do that and I came home and I told my parents I'm going on this exchange program I don't know how but it's going to happen 
Michelle, Nikki, yeah. I kid you not. This is how everything in my life works. Without even knowing about positive thinking or setting your intention. I've been doing that subconsciously all along. Mm -hmm. So at the time, we lived in Montego Bay. But we moved to Kingston. And when I was at St. Andrew High, we had the coolest head girl, Ruth. Um, Ruth spoke to us about coming back from Spain. Ruth Wade, she's now Ruth Wade Quaker, I think. She had just come back from an exchange program in Spain. And she was telling us, you know, you have to be careful with languages because I thought Spanish was easy and I was trying to tell someone that I felt embarrassed. This is Ruth telling the story, the whole school, the school. And she said, estoy embarazada, thinking that that was embarrassed, but it really means I'm pregnant. <laughs> so she go. also piqued my interest in this program. Some people came and spoke to us about it at St. Andrew High. I was 16 years old. I applied. And they said, so where do you want to go? Most people were going to the U.S., Canada, Mexico, I think, was an opportunity. And I said, where has no one ever been? I want to go where I would never go in my wildest dreams. And they said, you know, we have an opportunity for Sweden. We've never sent anyone to Sweden. And I said, yes, I'd like to go. And I went to Sweden and that was, you have to interview me twice for that. <laughs> there were so many dots that connected with Sweden. So I'd landed in a family similar to mine because, you know, they have social workers and they interview you and try to place you in an environment you're comfortable with. I went to Sweden, having just finished sciences, you know, I wanted to be a pediatrician. I landed at, in a liberal arts program in Sweden and a whole different world opened up for me. So I ended up coming back and doing languages and economics and then international relations. But the best part of that year was my family, mama, my host mother, papa, and then I had two siblings, three, Christina, who had also just come back from Australia, and my brothers, Johan and Olaf, who had also been to the U.S. on the same program. So they were very receptive to having me there. I visited them 10 years later. I met up with Johan when our family was in D.C. when Stephen was ambassador. He was visiting for work, and we went and had dinner. And then most recently, this is how I'm seeing the dots connect. Um, UE has an exchange program with the University of Gothenburg, the School of Global Studies. And a Swedish scholar visited us. And with my usual self, <laughs> I started speaking Swedish to him. And he was like, what on earth? Why? <laughs> so I told him and I applied to go on the program and I went to Sweden, to the University of Gothenburg in 2019. Yeah, I think October 2019. And, you know, for years I've been saying, agitating in my soul almost, 
I need one more trip to Sweden. My host parents are getting older. I'd love to see them one more time. And so I went to University of Gothenburg and I did all the academic things I had to do and give lectures and so. But they were kind enough to allow me a few days to go to Lund, which is where they lived. And I stayed with my host family at their old house, connected with my siblings. Um, I have a picture of, so my host father was a medical doctor, but he was also an academic. And I've just had education all around me. So my mother was a teacher, so education was part of my life. But when I was in Sweden, uh, my host mother was doing a PhD. And I was fascinated. So before I started this interview, I had an apron on because I just fixed lunch for myself. An apron that she gave me in 2019. Mm. Um, but I was fascinated that here was this academic who was this homemaker. She would bake bread. She would make muesli from scratch. She would come home from doing her research, put her apron on, and she was full in nurturing mother role. And that was such a, a lesson for me. And I've carried it with me that I can try and balance. I know you can't have it all. Something has to give. But yeah. at some point, you can have some balance with all the different aspects of, of who you are. And I she that instilled so. that in me. Oh I my absolutely Lisa, love that. I just, I Goose, literally Goose, got goosebumps. goosebumps. Me too. Yes, from me that. too. Me yes, too. Yes, seriously, that whole story. Yeah, that's 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 it right there. Yes, it really love is. Love that. That year, because you know, growing in Jamaica, we all have parents go out. We all, most of us have helpers cooking dinner. And so, but she, there was none of that. She came, she did the laundry, everybody's laundry. She, and the, the children in the family also helped out. So it was very involved. And it was just a different perspective to me of how a woman could be. And that seed was planted there for me that I'm going to do my PhD one day. And I'm also going to look after my family at the same time, somehow. And so for me, my PhD journey was long. But that was a path. I carved out, but my host father, no, he, Papa. So I had a problem calling them by their first names, which is what they wanted me to do. Folke, the father, and Valborg. But you know, our Jamaican culture. Yeah, we can't do that. I ended up calling them Mama and Papa to this day. And Papa was not 100% well when I went. And my host mother knew. And before they put me back on the train to go back to Gothenburg, she said, Lisa, you and Folke go for a walk. Mm. And I have a picture of that walk. And I knew it was the last time I'd yeah. see him. And unfortunately, he got COVID and died. Mm. So that was a very special trip. Um, and, you know, it's just how people you would never imagine you'd meet or have anything in in uh, common with can just become impact. your families and that's the whole philosophy behind the AFS program that 
breaking down these barriers and us mm-hmm. seeing how much we have in common will eventually create peace. And Lisa, and that's, that's that. actually profound that you're seeing that because the theme for International Women's Day is embracing equity. And that's exactly what it is all about, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you talked about traveling to Sweden, traveling to to London. Tell us about Washington. So remember I said it was I'm sure somebody (laughs) I'm sure somebody has written a book, you know, my literary side is not great about it was the best and worst of all times. Right before Stephen was appointed ambassador, I received a letter from Yui notifying me that I was up for tenure, that I could apply for tenure. And so I was excited. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, I've been working so hard to get this. And And now this. Washington. So I went at first with a little resentment in my heart that look how I have to give up this and this. And, you know, I remember someone made the comment to Stephen that, oh, so your wife going to be traipsing behind you to DC? Uh-oh. And he was so upset because he, he doesn't have that mindset. He says, no, Lisa will be coming with me. We are going together. But I still had that little spot of resentment in me when I went because, you know, I was in DC, I was managing the home, children at school, and I couldn't work. And especially because of the field I'm in, you know, some other ambassadors managed to find work for their spouses, but I'm in international relations. So if I taught, I'd have to censor so much of what I said, just, you know, because of the sensitivity of some of the issues. So I had that resentment in my heart. And one day, the flip switched. And I said, well, this is such, I mean, obviously it's a great opportunity, but I was caught up into some of the, the domestic issues and, you know, just not the very glamorous side of diplomacy that everyone expects. Right. And then all of these amazing opportunities, I got involved in a women's group associated with the Organization of American States called Organization of Women of the Americas. Mm-hmm. And what the State Department does is they recognize that the majority of ambassadors are men and they have these international clubs where both ambassador spouses, mainly wives, and spouses of the congressmen who have to leave their states and come and live in DC. And the women have I would say they have little to do or nothing to do, but it was a space for women, mainly women, to come together, recognize that we're all professional, we're not just appendages to our spouses. And I developed so many bonds there. Mm. I had the opportunity to visit several think tanks, go to lecturers, uh, and just widen my whole. Those three years, planted seeds that I'm still reaping today. Excellent. Just two weeks ago, um, 
the OAS and my department put a seminar on, on elections and democracy. And part of that is from the, the links I had with the OAS from then and some of the work I did with them as an election observer, which is a whole different world of me going to other countries. Another yes, hat. That's another, another hat. hat. Yes. Another hat. But I wanted, but did, have, did you ever get your tenure? Yes. Okay. <laughs> So when we came back in when we came back in 2015, yes, I did get tenure. I want to add here too that Lisa was in the US in DC at an amazing time because that's during how could I forget? (laughs) Yes, under the Obama presidency. So that was wonderful. Um meeting him, meeting Michelle, uh Visiting the White House for all of these different occasions, whether it was Thanksgiving, whether it was the lighting of the Christmas tree. So they were very good at uh, having activities for families and making you feel at home and even for children as well. So Sean and Dominic uh, got to visit Blair House, U.S. Capitol, so many different things that they would never have had. When I speak about Sean and Dominic too, when we had to choose a school for them, that was a major turning point. So Sean, our older son, had always hated school. If if he could, I remember he told me if he was going to university, he wanted it to be online. (laughs) When we went, one of the schools I saw, their tagline was, that school should be a happy place. Mm. And it really, Norwood School was really a happy place for these two. They had an entirely uh, positive outlook on education. There was no weekend homework. There was no homework that parents were expected to to do in the way that, you know, we do all the projects. And so Mm -hmm. um, they paid attention to the basics of you know, reading and writing and mathematics skills. But a lot of the learning was experiential. So that I was really grateful for, that that little oasis of learning in their in those years that made them see a different approach. So fortunately, both of them missed GSAT PEP, which is so yeah. stressful. Yes, 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 we know. For sure, for sure. You have such interesting um, stories. Stories, many, many stories. But I really want to get to your career and what you were, when did you finish your PhD and what you're doing now? Because I know that you make a big impact on your students at the university uh, now. And I just love the way you interact with them. I and not just your students at the university. Remember, Lisa does work with the JDF. Oh, yes. Yeah, so we want to hear about the mm-hmm. JDF as well. Okay. So, you know, I teach international relations. I'm the head of that unit in my department. And I also wear another hat as an associate dean of partnerships and resource mobilization, which is... Wow, sounds amazing. impressive. Oh, yes. yes. Sounds exciting. That's a huge. Sounds like finding money, but it's really finding all sorts of resources and partnering with NGOs, with private sector, other universities. So that's one hat. The teaching and the international relations side of it. So 
as a graduate student, um, I'm going a little, rewinding a little. Uh, at one point, when I finished my bachelor's in international relations, I was working at the Water Commission and I'd applied for my master's and decided I wanted to do it full time. My then boss, E.G. Hunter, he was eventually became president of the Water Commission, said, no, Lisa, we'll, I was a planning analyst there. He's like, no, we'll give you flexi time. I said, thank you. I really appreciate it, but I want to study full time. And I made a leap of faith and I resigned from the NWC. The day after I resigned, uh, one of my lecturers, Professor, now Professor Anthony Tony Boggs, saw me up at UA and said, Lisa, we need a research assistant for Michael Manley. And so I was Michael Manley's research assistant while he was in a chair, a professorship at UA, until he died. When he died, they weren't so sure what to do with me. And I got involved in tutoring and then eventually working as well as a research assistant with Trevor Monroe. Now, Prof Monroe became, it's a long story, I'm trying to cut it short. He was a member of a local observer group called Citizens Action for Free and Fair Elections. Mm -hmm. was instrumental in getting foreign observers to come and observe Jamaica's elections. And this was the first time I remember Prime Minister Patterson at this time stopped short of saying, go to hell. Why do we need foreigners? We're an independent country. And that's what I did my master's thesis on, the introduction of election observation and why sovereign countries like ours need to have foreigners come and tell us if our electoral process is good. So I did my master's paper on that. And eventually I did my PhD on the same topic, but for the Commonwealth Caribbean. So I looked at Guyana and you know how long Guyana had been having observers. So that is much of my teaching, but also part of my professional life as well, because the Commonwealth as a group, they have asked me to observe elections in the Maldives and in Tanzania, which were both very interesting trips. I remember when you did that to Tanzania. The Maldives, at one point, I was on a speedboat <laughs> with two men between the atolls in the Maldives, because you know it's collections of tiny islands. And I'm like, you know, a plane had disappeared <laughs> at point. And I'm like, these men could throw me overboard and nobody, nobody would know. ever see me again. And then in Honduras, well, Tanzania was another case, um, beautiful country. And you get to appreciate the commonalities, you know, so much divides us, but the more you travel, you realize that we are people with the same needs, struggling with the same developmental issues. Right. And, you know, the whole process is more humanizing. And mm -hmm. I've also been to Honduras to observe elections there, but for the OAS. So that's my the professional side. I write a lot about those processes and, you know, whether or not... <clears throat> having foreigners and these observer groups actually improves the quality of our elections, but this is not an academic 
discussion. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about your work with the JDF. I'm, I'm, I'm dying to hear about that because I just found out about that. So this is as an adjunct lecturer in their, um, they have a program. Remember their senior officers, there was a time when they had to go to Sandhurst right. to do training. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that program has been put on pause and Caribbean Military Academy has now been established okay. with support from the Jamaican government, British government and a few others. But the goal that that training that they used to go to Sandhurst or the Royal Military Academy in Canada can be done locally. Mm. So myself and a few other colleagues from UAE and elsewhere are part of that program. And we do the academic training of these officers so they understand, you know, mm. we hear all these things about human rights and how the, the security forces are operating. But they as officers also need to know some of the some of the framework within which they're operating. So what human rights agreements has Jamaica signed? Uh, what non-governmental organizations apply pressure to the Jamaican government for some of what they perceive are excesses by our security forces? What agreements has Jamaica signed? You know, just this morning, I spoke to them about one agreement called the Shiprider Agreement that allows US, the U.S. to come and search vessels in our territorial water. Why would Jamaica ever sign an agreement like that? They're the ones who operate to manage our internal waters, our territorial sea. So those, I'm giving them kind of the, the academic framework to the practical things that they're doing. Mm -hmm. And it's all, also that we can understand what is happening, right? And give them a better... Because we don't know this. Exactly. We don't know this. Sounds like I would love to sit in on those classes too. So on the lighter side of Lisa, uh -huh. she's, a, she, she's also a plant mom. I'd like to say a plant mom. Lisa Jackson, the succulents. Have you ever seen Lisa's garden? No. Okay. I think I started knowing Lisa in her early stages. Mm -hmm. You know, when she was all like her mother had fantastic plants. She mm -hmm. said, oh, I could never be like my mom. Mm -hmm. And in fact, she had a fiddly ficus. That Do you remember that? That yes. I threw <laughs> over the gully. And I'm going, Lisa, why did you throw it away? Because I had one that died right. and just think, came back. I think we all have those stores with those. But then she got into these the succulents. These horticultural mm -hmm. society plant sales. So she knew him, you know, as well, this one, right. <laughs> and then Max and I started talking. Uh, remember when we first found the first Monstera plant? Yes, yes, so, yes. So I, right on the start of um, COVID, I started a plant page mm -hmm. as a joke almost as a mockery of mommy because she was always you're going to kill this plant and she you know as she comes to my house she's poking her fingers when last you water this this feel like it hasn't had water for like two weeks which was true and so I started plants posting pictures of my dead plants and every plant that I got that I would kill and she never gave up on me she said okay succulents don't need much care if any of those 
And, you know, the first set she bought from me, I'm like, mommy, these look like some prehistoric things. They're so ugly. Like, really, I said, the mother of a thousand something, the one that will take over your garden. I'm like, these are so ugly. No, I don't like them. And eventually, I got more into the aesthetic of succulents rather than the caring of them. So I love to do different designs. And if you, you see my and garden, those are yes, absolutely yes. beautiful, Lisa. Your creativity. Didn't know I had that creativity. So okay. I know I can do hair and makeup, but I didn't know. That's what COVID brought out of me, that other creative element. So on that note of hair and all of that, I just have to tell you, it's in Lisa's DNA. Okay. <laughs> Because Lisa's mom, mm -hmm. and I just pause here to say that Mrs. Taylor got me into teaching. Oh, yes. She got me my first teaching job. Oh. And she taught my, my boys as well. So she has a very, very special place in, in, in our hearts. But Mrs. Taylor, Mrs. Taylor's favorite color was red. So her hair was red. Her nails were red. Her <laughs> lipstick was red. And her car was red. Okay. And Mrs. Taylor, every Monday morning, will look to see what hairstyle is Mrs. Taylor coming with. Because I'm telling you, it was fabulous every single time. Yeah. But yeah. Lisa, that's in your DNA, honey. You can't run away from that. Thanks. Mommy would see me and you don't, why didn't you put on lipstick? Or mm -hmm. you know, I'd have this very muted makeup, you know, the no makeup, makeup look, and she's like, No. You need a little rouge. Mm -hmm. Mommy, nobody says rouge anymore. <laughs> yeah, I had to try and, and keep up with mommy. Yes, and one of the last things we did together, um, I can speak about it without bawling now. It was almost like a, a ritual to prepare, you know, looking back, like the Friday before she died, I did her hair to perfection. Mm -hmm. And because she didn't want to go to the beauty salon and I went and I got all the products for her and, you know, she had a little gray showing and she was so concerned about it at 82. <laughs> and while I was doing her hair, I said, mommy, you don't think you could grow the gray? No, people would expect to see mm -hmm. you with gray hair. Mm -hmm. She's like, you mad? Put the color in my hair, you <laughs> Of course. I don't think so I ever was... see Mrs. Taylor with one strand of gray hair. No, no. So that, that was a beautiful no, perfect moment. every single yeah. time. Every single time. But ask me about my teaching, if I could just say that one last thing. Yes. I always try to remember what kind of student I was, which was definitely not the perfect student. <laughs> so I had aptitude, I was bright, but I was also interested in other things in life, you know. So mm -hmm. Wednesday nights we would be at asylum or running, you know, jumping in carnival or not handing an assignment in on time. And I think a lot of us as educators have forgotten where we were and have forgotten to show empathy to our students. And I think or I hope that's what makes me connect with my students, that just remembering where I was and what it was like to be a student and how much more difficult, how many more challenges they have today than I had at my time. Lisa, I'm sure that makes all the difference, understanding your students and meeting them where they are. 
I'm sure that makes all the difference. And you bring such rich experience of your travels and your um but but speaking of experience so lisa how do you balance all of this what do you do to you're a liberal like me so balance is important is important how do you balance all of this and you look pretty every single time i see you (laughs) it's out of place you're too kind (laughs) you get the right haircuts that i want to come (laughs) And we're in April. And we're in April. <laughs> um, I can't. I'm not so sure about the, the balance is a, a theme in my life. Mm-hmm. But it's something I'm learning to, to release. So like sometimes, you know, even with putting up, I'm looking around the house and Sean and I put all the paintings up and it was so important to me that, okay, we put two on this side. We have to put two on that side. It must be a Libra thing. It's, it a, li- it's a Libra be, thing. Must be. It's a Libra thing. As a Libra myself, Trevor's a Libra. Oh my God. So hey, it's, it's not symmetrical. Yeah. And you know, even, even, even with this hairstyle that I have as, as a joke, although it's asymmetrical, I give the lady that trims my hair grief. I'm like, this side should not be longer than that set. <laughs> but in terms of my personal life, I don't know. Um, having a supportive family, you know, mm-hmm. having mother, sister, husband, Miss um, Gillette is in the background, having people who support you um, yes. and assist and learning not to. I think as a one-time youngest child, I used to try to do everything myself. Mm-hmm. And not ask for help, you know. I'm just trying to do everything alone. I'm learning to ask for help when I need yes. it, and um, realizing that it's okay to just let some things go sometimes. I'm actually uh, learning that too. Put aside your yeah, perfectionist, and I'm, I'm, I'm learning yeah. that slowly but surely. And as we get yeah. older, I think we just literally can't manage everything as we would like to. Exactly. And it's okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And then sometimes you give more focus. So balance doesn't mean that everything is happening perfectly at the same time. Sometimes mm-hmm. um, you put two things on the burner while you're working on one. So I'm right. thinking professionally. Sometimes I'm this wonderful teacher to the detriment of publishing. And if you don't publish in the academy, you're not going to be promoted. So you it's always this tenuous, it's always a balancing act, even if I mm-hmm. try to say I'm not trying to balance. But balance, for me these days, doesn't mean that everything is happening perfectly. It right. means that I've learned to recalibrate something When necessary. Yes, of course, of course. And that's a life lesson for all of us, right? For sure. Mm-hmm. And we haven't even gotten, so we're definitely going to have to have our back on. Right, because two. we haven't even had... <laughs> A chance to talk about motherhood. Oh boy! And guess what? We all have boys. You have yes, two. two. Nikki has two. I have two. Boy. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And this this being a mother of boys also helps me with being a teacher mm-hmm. because um, you know the minority of our students there are fewer young men in the classroom. We have to think carefully about our teaching methods subconsciously 
sometimes they're geared towards women in the class. The boys may not participate in the same way. And if we have time, I'll, do we have time for me to tell you one little story? Sure, absolutely. So before COVID, I had a young man in one of my classes, uh, you know, well-dressed, you know, girls love him off and everything. And I don't like to stay in the front, just stand in the front and teach. I'll walk around and so. And this day I was walking around asking a particular question. And when I got to him, he answered me with a, a repressed aggression, like, no, miss, not ask me anything today. And my gut reaction was to be, well, no, I was in my gut. I knew I shouldn't press him, and I left him alone. But the look on his face for the remainder of the class, I kept thinking, this boy is going to bomb up the university. Oh, boy. <laughs> he just looked so angry. And then I remember Dominic. Dominic, who, because of his height and his size, my own son, seems so unapproachable sometimes and is really just the tenderest, sweetest soul. The class finished, everybody left, and the guy was just around there. And I left to go to my office. And I turned back. I was afraid, you know. I turned back and I went to the classroom and I said, are you okay? And he just started to bawl. Oh. He cried, he cried, he cried, he cried, he cried. He Just mm -hmm. me and him in this huge lecture room, he started to share some of the things that were on his mind, some of the difficulties. He had lost a friend and he was feeling guilty. But I think being a boy mom makes yeah. me a little more sensitive yes. to, to the male experience. You know, I try not to go overboard and, you know, marginalize the females in the class, but I try, <laughs> yeah. We have the affinity for the boys, for sure. Yes, affinity. yes, yes. But I'm happy it turned back for him, though. Yes. Because he yeah. needed that, he needed that person to just let it out. The mo the mother instinct mm -hmm. came out for sure. Mm -hmm. Heard him to the health center and the necessary things, but had I just left, I don't know what what would have happened. Would have happened. Exactly. And you know, mm -hmm. we just assume from the tough ex exterior that. You know they're okay, or they're planning to do and something guys are not aggressive. You're not supposed to be showing emotion. Exactly. And I absolutely hate that, and I'm glad that. No, I think we're kind of breaking that down. It's okay to show emotion, and important to show emotion. Well, that's called toxic masculinity. Yeah. So the new generation is like all against that. Kaylin is big into like, oh, you know, mm -hmm. this is that's the old way of thinking about toxic femininity and I, I don't know what it is yet i'm still know. trying to figure it out but you live and you learn all oh, these things. and and i think we had started off this conversation talking about that it wasn't recorded but you had said um that you know your your filter is has gone down but i'm not even sure that maybe your filter is not as prominent or is it that your children and your students are more attuned to what we're saying and saying, no, no, maybe you shouldn't say it that way. Maybe what is it that you mean? 
Is that the yeah. right thing? You know, I think the whole world is a little bit more sensitive. Yeah. That's that's partly change along the way. Right. Mm-hmm. Being something else that I've been doing. Um, so my family members, not my immediate, not my husband or children, but my mother and my big sister would call me Mother Teresa behind yeah. my back. They never, they never told me for years. And it was really mocking me because every time they called me with a negative situation or to say something, you know, this person did this and that, I would say, but maybe they were going through something. Mm-hmm. And they had this impression of me being this goody two-shoes and, oh, Lisa's always seen good and, and mocking me and calling me Mother Teresa. And of late, I was trying to, I'm actually in a group with two young friends, and we call the group Bad Bitch Something Support <laughs> Group. And their only goal in life is to toughen up Lisa so she doesn't see Kavita and Michelle <laughs> so that I can stop being this way. And the other day I just said, you know, <laughs> screw this. I just, I am who I am. And mm-hmm. it is, it takes so much energy out of me to be other than yes. I am. That I'm like, I'll be my mother Teresa and far from perfect. But, but guess you know. what? Yeah, but guess what though, Lisa? You're one of the most authentic friends that I have. And how you are today is how you were decades ago. Yeah. Yes, you have some letters behind your name and you have your children and your husband and you have achieved a lot. And she's but your core has remained the same. Uh, thanks, Michelle. Still the Tallulah Buddhas. Tallulah. <laughs> that's the other side. Oh, that's the other side. That's okay. the other ego. And, yeah. This has been. That's cool. because the, the Tallulah Buddhas is because I was a good student, but I always, as a girl, like as a teenager, I always wanted to prove that I wasn't so bright. You know, I tried for many years to dumb down part of me, and so. You know, I'd be accepted more, and he says, "Not this nerd." And so, trying um, to be cool, right? Trying to be yeah. cool. So that yeah. was that was that's part of the Tallulah Gooders vibe as <laughs> as well. But after a while, I learned, you know, stand in your own light, right? This is who I am. Yeah. yeah. But thank you so much, Lisa. Thanks, Lisa. It's been a pleasure anytime again. Of course. <laughs> part two. Of course, because we have so much two. more to talk about. <laughs> Thanks, my Thank friend. You. Thanks, Michelle. All Thank right. you too. Okay, take care. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of What the 50. Please show your love and encouragement by sharing, subscribing, and leaving a review wherever you're listening. And don't forget to like and follow us on Instagram. And please join our active Facebook group at what.the50.